What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, how's it going, man? Chris, I'm confused, man, because I thought this was the team fans and teams around the league said was going to drown without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. But yet, They've won 15 of their last 19 games and welcomed back Evan Mobley to the starting lineup tonight and are now at the part of the season where they're going to be getting both their star players back soon. We've seen this team win a lot of games that they've been the underdogs in against teams we've considered title contenders with wins over the Denver Nuggets, Philadelphia 76ers, Milwaukee Bucks, and the latest victim, the Los Angeles Clippers, who the Cavs beat on Monday 118 to 108. The Clippers came into Cleveland as one of the highest rated offenses as of late, while the Cavs are one of the best defensive teams as of late as well. And we've been talking about how the league is structured to lean in favor of the offense. The Cavs held James Harden, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook under 15 points each, while Kawhi Leonard made me eat my words, questioning his offensive abilities. He had 30 points tonight. I think this game was the epitome of an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. And we've talked about the physicality of teams like the Knicks, who gave the Cavs trouble last year in the playoffs. But the Clippers had a physical mindset throughout the entire game tonight, and I think the Cavs held their own. What do you think, Chris? Well, I do think we have to put it in perspective. The Clippers didn't have Zubats, and with Avika Zubats, it's a different matchup. He's a great player. He's very physical, really good pick-and-roll defender. So I don't know if we got a true gauge of how the Cavs are going to respond to playoff-level physicality, but I will say this, Ethan. The Clippers were playing as good a basketball as anybody in the NBA, and there are people that are out there wondering, are they the best team in the Western Conference? Should they be mentioned more when it comes to legitimate title contenders, just based on the way that they have played, based on the way that they've come together, based on the way that James Harden cares about basketball again and is playing at a level that is more what you would expect from somebody his caliber. So for the Cavs to play the way they did tonight against the Clippers, for them to lead this game for about 37 minutes, to be up by 12 and only really allow one big run by the Clippers in the fourth quarter. It was a really, really impressive performance by the Cavs. And I think some people are still wondering about the validity of the Cavs' record because they are 28-16, and but 17 of those wins have come against teams that are currently below 500. But when you beat a team like LA at home, given the way that they've been playing recently, when you beat a team like Milwaukee on the road, when they're full strength and you're not, it just continues to highlight the fact that, yes, even though the Cavs have taken advantage of a favorable schedule, even though they've beaten up on lesser opponents, this is not a mirage. Them being one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference is a real thing, and they're only going to get better moving forward because Evan Mobley came back tonight. Darius Garland, his return is on the horizon. 
And the Cavs have so many different ways to attack opponents offensively and defensively when they're at full strength. And I'm just really excited to see how they handle the reintegration process and how they blend all of the different things that they've learned over the last month and a half with what they already knew about themselves and what Darius and Evan can bring from an individual standpoint. Yeah, Chris, and I think we heard it from all the players after the game. Nobody's worried about how these two star players are going to get reacclimated. It's more so how fast they'll be able to adjust, how much they'll be able to help the team grow. Like we've seen this on multiple occasions this season. It doesn't feel like anybody on the Cavs is really worried about minutes playing time, but more so what they're able to contribute in the minutes that they get. And I think that's a big testament to what this team's got going on. Like you look to the West and what happened with Golden State and Kuminga and how there was a not a falling out, but there was a disagreement on playing time. And that can sometimes draw a divide on a team. I mean, look at Miami. Kyle Lowry, he was somebody who was like, hey, you know, I'm a starter in this league. It's not the most comfortable thing for me to come off the bench in a six-man role. And then, like, two games later, he got traded. <laughs> right. Now, they, like, they were looking at trading him anyway because that was one of their trade chips that they had, and his big contract matched a lot of the salaries of the guys out there that they were going to covet. But, like, that is just an example of a guy who was brought there for one reason. They didn't feel like he could live up to that anymore. They changed his role, and he wasn't all that happy with that, and they found somebody better than him. It's not every situation, Ethan, where guys are just going to buy in and they're always going to be ready and they're always going to step up when their number is called. So I agree. I think the makeup of this roster the level of sacrifice that we've seen from this roster, the we before me mentality that has trickled throughout the entire organization is something that is rare. Yeah, and I think we need to talk about somebody that had a big impact on the defensive end tonight, but has also had an impact on the defensive end for the whole season. Dean Wade? Well, we mentioned him a good amount, but I think more so tonight with staying in the starting rotation, Isaac Okoro, like Isaac has not only picked up the best on-ball offensive player each night, but he's also increased his offensive output, which I think is great. But I think my favorite part about this whole thing is you remember when Jared Allen wasn't getting a whole lot of all-star love, and you remember when Isaac Okoro hasn't really gotten any accolades or, or recognition for his impact on the defensive end, Donovan Mitchell has been at the forefront of all of that. Like, he's been talking about it in press conferences. He's been talking about it in other players' press conferences, like, For somebody who fans really were pushing the narrative that he didn't want to be in Cleveland, he wasn't going to stay after the season, yada, yada, yada. And that's all to be determined. So who knows what's going to happen. But he seems like he is enjoying himself in Cleveland. He seems like he is enjoying the players that he's playing with. He's enjoying the camaraderie of all of the things that they have going on. And 
I mean, you saw it tonight when he jumped in first Arena Winters on Bali and took over the interview with Isaac Okoro because he said, I know you don't want to talk about it, but I think we should talk about it. And I'm going to talk about it later, but I want to see if you'll actually say something about wanting to be all NBA first team defense. I'm just wondering from the standpoint of Isaac, look, he's been in the starting lineup during this stretch when Evan and Darius were both out. Evan's back. He was in the starting lineup tonight, played 21 minutes. Nine of those minutes were with Jared Allen. The other 12 were as the backup center apart from Jared. So it's clear that J.B. Bickerstaff is definitely going to stagger Jared and Evan so they can play more four-shooter lineups around one of Jared or Evan. But like the Isaac piece of this is really, really interesting to me, Ethan, because during this stretch that the Cavs have gone on this run and become one of the best defensive teams in the NBA again, and become a legitimate title contender in the Eastern Conference, Like it's coincided with their rise on defense. And like, yeah, their offense has gotten better. It needed to get better. It's more dynamic. It's more diverse. They're shooting more threes. It's the style that other teams around the NBA are playing, and it's worked for the Cavs. So yeah, their offense has gotten better during this stretch. But really, this is a defense-first team still, And defense has been at the center of this turnaround over the last month, month and a half. And it's not a coincidence that that coincided with their best on-ball perimeter defender going back in the starting lineup and playing between 30 and 35 minutes a night. As you said, Isaac Okoro is taking matchups against Damian Lillard. Isaac Okoro is taking matchups against Jalen Brunson, Trey Young, Tyrese Halliburton, James Harden, DeJounte Murray, you name it, the best of the best on the perimeter. And I just wonder, Ethan, when Isaac comes out of the starting lineup to put Darius back in the starting lineup, what is that going to mean for the Cavs defense? And what does that mean for those particular matchups on a nightly basis? For example, if you peek ahead to the schedule, so the Sacramento Kings on February 5th at home, De'Aaron Fox, that's usually Isaac Okoro, right? Does that turn into Darius Garland? Does that turn into Donovan Mitchell taking those matchups? Is Max Struess going to guard those swing two slash threes? I'm fascinated to watch that unfold. And maybe you can sit here and say, well, even if their point of attack defense is a little bit weaker because you're taking Isaac out of the starting lineup and you're putting Darius into the starting lineup and he's got physical limitations on the defensive end, So you may be losing something on the point of attack, but the back line of your defense is going to be fortified because you have Evan and Jarrett together and they can erase the mistakes. They can cover up some of those limitations on the perimeter. I'm just really fascinated to see how JB is going to balance that and if the Cavs can keep the same tenacious defense that we've seen over the last month, month and a half with Isaac Okoro out of the starting lineup and not getting as many minutes as what he has gotten during this stretch. Yeah, and I think you have to throw in your favorite person to talk about on the defensive end and Dean Wade. Sure. Especially because of players that have played at least 35 games this season, which is basically a good amount of them. He is the best defensive rating. Yeah, I don't know what that truly means, but that is something that's interesting. It's just incredible to think of, like, All of the players in the league, like you are at the top of the game for players who actually have consistent minutes and consistent playing time and all of those things. And I think it's interesting to go from 
Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade both being in the starting lineup and those two guarding more guard slash forward medium-sized players and then switching to Evan and Jarrett and you've got those guys guarding the bigger players on the floor. Obviously, we understand what Evan brings to the floor on the defensive end and being able to guard from probably two to four or two to five. But you like him more around the rim as the weak side defender rather than pulled out to the perimeter, even though he can hold his own and he can contest shots out there. He's probably best utilized for the Cavs defense around the rim in the paint, erasing mistakes. Right. So it'll be a complete opposite of what kind of defensive approach they've had. And we heard tonight, Jared Allen even said he doesn't really like being on the perimeter. (laughs) And as a seven footer, why would you? (laughs) Like he is somebody that is very comfortable being the protector of this team. And I think Evan Mobley is kind of in the middle of that. They have a tendency to just send them down to him into the paint if there's a mistake and he can handle it that way because there's only so many moves that they can do in the painted area rather than how much space they have on the perimeter. And I think one of my favorite parts of what happened today was Donovan was hyping up Isaac and Isaac said that he knew that he locked up Donovan when Donovan was in Utah. So, you know me, I had to do some digging and, um, Let's say Point Donovan, because in the 2020-2021 season, where Donovan Mitchell and Isaac Okoro matched up in two games, Isaac allowed 25 points on 9 of 14 shooting from the floor, which is 64%, and 5 of 7 from 3, which is 71%. Yeah, think about what year that was. Isaac, early in his career, was thrown into the fire. He was asked to guard the best of the best as a rookie and just figure it out as he goes. And I think that hardened him. I think that molded him into the defender that he is. I think that made him a better player. Um, Going through that kind of experience, the trial by fire, has been really, really good for him. And I think that's helped him become the defender that he is today. He is a much different defender here in year four than he was as a rookie when he didn't know the NBA. He didn't know matchups. He didn't know the little tricks of the offensive players. Now he has started to learn those things. What can I get away with? What can't I get away with? How physical can I be? What's the pet move of X player? And how do I take that away? Like he has become a lockdown perimeter defender, like one of the elite on-ball defenders in the entire NBA. And like everybody looks at different stats to kind of back up any kind of argument that they want to make for a guy. I like estimated plus minus. I think it's a pretty good gauge. And just putting it in perspective, in terms of defensive estimated plus minus, Isaac Okoro is currently in the 93rd percentile of all players in the league, okay? And being in the 93rd percentile puts him around these defenders. Jaden McDaniels of Minnesota, Cam Reddish of the Lakers, who is known for his perimeter defense, Derek White of the Boston Celtics, Giannis, Dylan Brooks, Josh Okogie, like all of those guys, for the most part, have made their living in the NBA and carved out a specific niche and role on the defensive end of the floor. 
And like Isaac's right there in that same category. And he's right there with those caliber defenders. And I think it speaks to, yes, his growth and also the impact that he has made on a nightly basis for the Cavs that sometimes goes underappreciated. By the way, you know who else is in the 93rd percentile as a defender, according to estimated plus minus on defense? Dean Wade. Dean Wade. That is correct. You know who was a plus 20 in his 26 minutes tonight for the Cavs? Dean Wade. He just does things that impact the team in a positive way. And I think it was really, really important for somebody like Dean. You know, in the past, there have been situations where it has been hard on guys to go from starter to reserve, starter to not playing a bunch. I think one, it was really important for JB to stick with Dean in the rotation. It's easier to do it right now when Evan's on a minute restriction and he's only playing 20 to 24 minutes. So this remains to be seen as we continue to go. But in saying that, it was important for JB to stick with Dean Wade, continue to instill confidence in him. And it was good for Dean to show that he can still make an impact and be a positive for this team even though his role changed. Yeah, Chris, and we saw Dean Wade put up a confident three with a hand in his face tonight that he made. And I was like, hold on. (laughs) And then you think about it, with Evan being in the starting rotation and Dean Wade not, you remember earlier in the season when Dean Wade went to check in at the scorer's table and some people would be groaning in their seats because they didn't understand what was going on. Now, with Evan being on a minutes restriction and knowing what he contributes to the team, you heard sighs of relief wanting him to get into the game and give Evan a little bit of a break. Did you, though? I heard a I don't know if I did. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was coming from my own mouth. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, right. Exactly. Nonetheless, I understand your point. And I think Dean is going to remain a part of this rotation. How many minutes a night he gets, that remains to be seen, especially when Evan no longer has a minute restriction. There's only so many minutes available for guys. There are only so many spots in this rotation for guys. But Dean is playing at a high level right now. And even on nights where he's not making shots, even on nights where he's not scoring double-digit points, He can still impact the game in a positive way for this team, whether it's spacing the floor, giving the defensive effort that he has, rebounding the basketball, second chance opportunities, just making the offense go because he's passing the ball and he's making the right play, things along those lines. He has been, for the most part, he has been a positive for this team each time he has gotten an opportunity. All right, Chris. We're going to take a quick break, but I got to put our subscribers on to something new. For our listeners, if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, CLE. And you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen and quench your thirst and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, we're going to talk about the progress that Evan Mobley made to make his return in six weeks since surgery. And then we'll also talk about how Darius Garland could return to 
the Cavs lineup as early as Wednesday. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Chris, tell the folks a little bit more about Subtext and what they're getting on that end. Yeah, I think you're just getting information that you don't get in the normal places. You know, there are things that I'm going to put on Twitter or X. There are things Ethan is going to put on Twitter or X. It's going to be information. It's going to be analysis. It's going to be links to our stories and things like that. But the truth is, not everything is for that particular platform. And Subtext is a way to interact with us, get your questions answered by us. It's basically having a conversation and being part of a community where you can talk with us, where you can interact with us, where you can send us a text message and we reply to you. And sometimes there's going to be information that I save just for the Cavs Insiders on Subtext. For example, following shoot around this morning, I released to the Cavs Insiders that Pete Nance, his 10-day contract expired and the Cavs are still determining what to do next. He returned to the G League, and technically, they don't have to do anything. They can keep that spot open for 14 more days. They can save the money. They can keep the roster spot. Or if they want to, they could sign him to a second 10-day. But that's not something that I put on X, formerly Twitter. I saved it for my Cavs insiders. So they knew what the situation was with Pete Nance. They knew what direction the Cavs are leaning when it comes to the two open roster spots that they have. Also, Cavs Insiders got the news about Darius Garland that I wrote about for Cleveland.com. Right before I posted that story for Cleveland.com, I said that sources told me that Darius isn't far behind Evan in his return, and he could be back Wednesday night at home against Detroit. That was reserved for my Cavs Insiders, and they got that news before anybody else did. So, If you don't want to miss out, if you want inside information, analysis, X's and O's, breakdowns, all that kind of stuff, make sure you jump on board and join Subtext. And to do so, you can sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up Stick around, because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and me. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Chris, the Cavs are almost nearing full strength. Psych, no, they're not, because Ty Jerome just got injured. So, they're still dealing with injuries on the back end, but two key players are coming back to the Cavs rotation. Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've been learning about the six-week process that Evan Mobley went went through to try and get back in better shape than he was when he left? And we've mentioned in previous podcasts, I even threw out the name Wolverine for him to get back because arthroscopic surgery is nothing to sneeze at. Surgery in itself, you throw that word around, you can't be talking about anything lightly. He had a range of six to eight weeks. He came back on Monday and exactly six weeks from when he got the surgery, 
talk me through what's been going on with Evan and what's been going on with everybody else on the team. Well, JB talked about it before the game tonight, and I think it started with Evan taking the right mindset into this particular injury. And it's like, Evan is not somebody who has ever dealt with a significant injury before in his entire career. This was the first extended absence. Like, yeah, he had an elbow issue, I believe it was a couple years ago, I want to say. Maybe last year. One of the two. All the years kind of blend together at this point. And he beat that timeline too, but it was only like a couple weeks. Like, this was a month plus. This is a long recovery. This was surgery. This was something where he had not dealt with it in his entire life before. So him taking the right mindset into the whole process... That was really, really important. There was no woe is me. There was, okay, this is the timeline. I'm going to do everything that I can to either beat that thing or come back as soon as I possibly can within that timeline. So I just think taking the right approach, doing the things that he needed to do. Obviously, he is a freak of nature. He's got Wolverine blood. He's got young blood. He heals quickly. But I just think how positive he was about the entire situation and him looking at it as almost a blessing in disguise. I can work on my body, right? I can work on aspects of my game that I can't during a game situation. I can do all these different things to develop as a player and a person behind the scenes that usually I can't because the schedule is so jam-packed because there are so many things going on throughout the course of the season. So I think because he was extremely purposeful in the things that he was doing behind the scenes and because he looked at it as a unique opportunity to evolve as a person and player, I think you see a guy who is coming back a little bit different than the one that was lost about six weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, we saw the start the game, uh, alley-oop slam that I don't think we had seen from him before. Had a little bit of extra oomph on it on the back end. And if you think about the first possession of the game too, Ethan, not to cut you off, but like the first possession of the game, like the Cavs ran their big, big set right? And a bunch of different guys touched it. It wasn't a situation where Donovan dribbled the ball up the court, went high pick and roll, the offense stagnated. No, 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 no. Donovan started it. Evan touched it. Max touched it. Jarrett touched it. So it was like all within the flow of the offense. It wasn't a situation where let's get the ball to Evan. Let's get him back. Let's get him comfortable. Let's let him shake off the rust right away. And let's do what's best for Evan. You know what I mean? Like it was, let's put him into the flow of this offense. Let's integrate him into this system. And let's let him explore this style that we have now found over the last month and a half. And that first possession, it was very, very similar to what we had seen without Evan. It was just him in a different kind of role. But it's not like he stopped the offense It's not like he was out there going to get his. It's not like he took a whole bunch of dribbles to back down his defender. It was something that looked rhythmic. It was something that looked natural. And I think it's going to be exciting for the Cavs to try and tap in to some of the other aspects of Evan's game and use him as more of like an offensive hub, offensive creator, kind of like a trigger on the offensive end similar to the way that Jarrett was used while Evan was out. And and seeing that on the first possession of the game tonight, I think was very, very encouraging. Yeah, and I mean, 
we talk about what Evan can bring on the offensive end as a passer and as a scorer and what Jarrett kind of initiated because it wasn't being used as much. And now that they started using the scheme that has the big man as a hub, they can now integrate Evan Mobley into that same style. And we'll have to see what happens, but it feels like a style that Evan would be comfortable with. But I also want to talk about the point that J.B. Bakerstaff mentioned when asked by a reporter earlier today about the style that they're using on offense with the constant shooting of three-pointers. And he said four to five attempts per game from three for Evan Mobley. How do you feel about that? It's not going to happen. No, I'll believe it when it actually happens. I'll believe it when I see it. But I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't think Evan is that kind of player at this stage of his development. I don't think he's that comfortable to start hoisting threes with that kind of volume. I don't think Evan feels like that's the best thing for him. And I don't think he feels like that's the best thing for the Cavs. And I don't think he feels like that's the best play. Like him taking those shot attempts and taking those away from Donovan, Max Strew, some of these other guys. I, I just don't see it. He took zero, zero threes tonight. He took seven total shots. I just don't think that's his shot profile right now. Donovan Mitchell is going to take eight to 12 threes, right? Max Struess is going to take six to 10 threes. Dean Wade's going to hoist him a bunch. George Niang, same thing. Darius Garland as well. But Evan Mobley's not taking five to six threes a night. That's not happening. So to me, that was just coach speak. I think that was JB defending his guy. And I think that was JB trying to make a broader point of we're comfortable with Evan doing that if Evan is comfortable doing that. We're not going to put him in a box and limit him in any sort of way. But I just don't think he's somebody that is going to take that volume. And I don't think he's somebody that is going to live out there on the perimeter for the majority of his possessions. I do not believe that four to five threes is is going to be in the arsenal of Evan Mobley anytime soon, no matter what Evan says and no matter what JB says. Yeah, I don't think so either. I did see him on the perimeter a couple of times. He didn't have the ball in his hand, but he was out there spreading the floor, which is not only a good thing for the offense, but just being in the vicinity of where you might have to take a shot or two can also bring confidence. So we'll see. But the one thing that I did like from Evan's game tonight that I saw was he was not afraid again, like we liked when he was in the lineup earlier this season. He was not afraid to bring the ball up the floor. He went coast to coast a couple times. Like that was so nice to see again. And it was like, Oh, he was being a little careful with his knee. Obviously, first game back, got some jitters, all of those things. But it felt like he was playing his game. And I think that's an important point. His game. He might have been going a little too fast at times because he's trying to counteract for the speed of the game and what you've been used to in practice and stuff because it's not, it's never the same, even if they're doing five-on-five scrimmages with full contact and things like that. An actual game is completely different speed than anything else. And you're right. Like, Evan Mobley is not Dean Wade, okay? Evan Mobley is not George Niang. Evan Mobley has a different kind of skill set. So he's not all of a sudden, just because he went out for six weeks and he had arthroscopic knee surgery, he's not all of a sudden going to watch how the Cavs play during those six weeks, have some kind of epiphany, and then be able to shoot a whole bunch of threes. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, that's not who he is. That's not what makes him 
such a special player. That's why you have Dean Wade. That's why you have Karis LeVert. That's why you have George Niang. That's why you have all these different guys with different skill sets. Because you're trying to fill in the blanks, right? And you're trying to add different components to your offense and diversify it enough where you can take advantage of the strengths of each player and potentially mask their weaknesses at this point in time. But you don't want everybody who is going to be the same kind of player. It doesn't work that way. You have to find what's best for that guy. You have to allow that guy to play his game and his style within the fabric of what you're trying to accomplish on the offensive end and on the defensive end. But to me, people have to stop at this point demanding that Evan become this volume three-point shooter. Like he needs to threaten the defense. He needs to take the ones that are open for him. He needs to take those jump shots outside the paint without hesitation and and with confidence. Like all of those things are true, but he doesn't need to be Dean Wade or George Niang where he's just a floor spacing four. That's not who he is. That's not what is going to make the Cavs the best version of a team that can make it out of the first round of the playoffs. A guy that will definitely help them make it out of the first round of the playoffs could be make his return on Wednesday in Darius Garland. And I know a lot of fans have been mentioning that Donovan and Darius don't work together. We've already denounced this notion, but I think fans don't understand how well Darius is going to come back into this lineup, into this scheme play, because you saw Darius take threes before they started jacking up threes on a consistent basis he also has been working pre-game on multiple different occasions strictly behind the line and trying to get shots up and trying to gain confidence again and I wanted to talk about his recovery process because we had mentioned that his recovery could be at least a week after he got his wiring out it's been a little longer than that but I think fans need to understand the fact that Darius was drinking out of a straw for an entire month. You go from chewing and using the muscles in your face to do all of those things and could not do any activities at all. Not just basketball activities. The man wasn't allowed to run. You have to manage your intake of food and your calories and things of that nature. And it's completely different than just how he was doing it on a regular basis before he fractured his jaw. So, The recovery process has been a little bit longer. He's now getting ready to come back. How do you feel like he's going to acclimate into this offense? So a source close to Darius told me that Darius lost 10 pounds during the time that he was out. Now, he was able to gain that back really, really quickly because he started eating normal again because he was able to do more stuff in the weight room. It's not like it was ever a situation where Darius lost this weight and there was concern within the organization of him being able to put it back on. But it tells you that, you know, the usual intake of calories wasn't the same. The kinds of foods that he was eating, that wasn't the same. It was a a very difficult process for Darius. It's not something where, okay, so he hurt his ankle or he hurt his knee get over a specific hurdle of of that injury, and now you can get back out onto the court, right? It was four straight weeks of doing basically nothing in terms of physical activity. Like Evan Mobley had his surgery. He was on crutches for a couple of days, but then like as his recovery progressed, he was able to do things on the court. 
He was able to move. He was able to do jumpers. He was able to go on the treadmill. He was able to do the Versa Climber and all that kind of stuff. Like Darius didn't have those same capabilities because he was told he could do nothing to get his heart rate up. But beyond that, like, I don't know, Ethan, I think it remains to be seen. I'm taking a wait and see approach on this sort of thing. We know Darius is somebody who dribbles a little bit more, right? So theoretically, you're going from a lineup where you had the ball dominant point guard in Donovan Mitchell, who was playing that position out of necessity. And then Max Struess was playing the two guard. And then Isaac Okoro was playing the three. Dean Wade was playing the four. And Jared Allen was playing the five. Like, beyond Donovan Mitchell, you didn't have a lot of ball dominance there, right? Beyond Donovan Mitchell, you didn't have a lot of dribbling there because the skill sets of those guys didn't lend itself to that. Beyond Donovan Mitchell, you didn't have a lot of guys that could just operate in the high pick and roll. Like, you want to still operate in the high pick and roll because Darius is so great at it and because Jared Allen is such a great pick and roll player. And it's just like another place where the Cavs can go potentially for offense. So I think there's going to be an adjustment. I think there are going to be growing pains. I think Darius is going to have to dribble a little bit less. I think the Cavs are going to have to go away from as much pick and roll as maybe Darius grew accustomed to. I think he's going to have to be more comfortable playing off the ball, coming around screens. And not being Max Struess, because he's not Max Struess or Sam Merrill or Kyle Korver or any of those kinds of guys, but just, you know, create some more movement. Get some shots on catch-and-shoot opportunities or coming off of pin-downs or DHOs or things along those lines. So I do think he's going to have to change his individual game a little bit to blend into this fabric of the team. I think he's going to have to be cognizant of his turnovers. That was a problem for him when he went down with this injury. And I think he's going to have to take challenges on the defensive end of the floor because that elite on-ball perimeter defender that's been playing 30 to 35 minutes a night in the starting lineup, taking those types of matchups, the alpha on the other team, Darius might have to take some of those. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited to just see how J.B. Bickerstaff manages this lineup, this rotation, the people that he has on the bench, and goes based on the scenario and what's working and what's not, and being willing to make adjustments and changes on the fly, because we saw Sam Merrill wasn't hitting his shots. He took one. He couldn't even get a shot off because uh, the Clippers were paying so much attention to him. And they were sticking with him and they were being really, really physical with him off the ball. And like, he didn't have a lot of freedom out there. He didn't have a lot of touches out there. And even though like he still creates space and gravity and makes things better for his team, it was clear that he was struggling with the added attention of the Clippers a little bit. And JB kind of felt like, hey, this isn't so much a Sam Merrill game. Maybe Wednesday against Detroit is more of a Sam Merrill game or Thursday against Memphis. Like, I think Sam is going to be one of the guys in that rotation where it's not going to be um, his style, his game every single night. And and he's going to be getting playing time based on situation, based on matchup, based on game flow, things along those lines. Yeah, and I think that's the same thing with Craig Porter Jr. and 
how Dean Wade and Isaac Okoro are going to flow in the rotation, especially with Darius coming back. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I'm excited to see how Jamie Bickerstaff manages this offense and the team as a whole because we know that they are a good defensive team regardless of who they have on the court because of how this team was designed and built. The offense is what has grown a lot better over the time that Evan Mobley and Darius Garland have been out, and we're going to have to see if they can keep up with that. But with all that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.